0: I'd imagine a few of you listening have read Charles Dickens' uh, David Copperfield novel. Um, in that book, the character Mr. Micawber says, annual income of 20 pounds, annual expenditure, 19 pounds, 19 shillings and sixpence, result is happiness. Annual expenditure, 20 pounds and sixpence, result misery. So that's a bit of a, an unusual introduction. We're not talking financial budgets today. We're gonna to be talking about feed budgets, dealing with feed deficits because of drought or flood or um, the issue we may have. For a few of you at the moment with the shortage of processing but the principle is the same it's why i was reminded of it that if your daily feed demand is 10 kilograms of dry matter less than supply all good but if daily demand is more than feed supply then trouble lies ahead so hi everyone welcome to the latest edition of beef and lamb new zealand's seen and heard podcast slightly different introduction but as usual i'm your host aaron meikle and today we're joined by tom fraser of fraser pastoral If you're a sheep and beef farmer in New Zealand, you'll either know of Tom, or after this interview will wonder why you didn't. I asked Tom beforehand um, what he gives himself as a job title, and he says he doesn't really have one, he just says he's a person who goes out, talks with sheep and beef farmers, asks questions, helps them improve their systems. So welcome on the call Tom, Um, as I say I think a few people will know you, but what's the background, how did you end up where you are now being a person who goes out and talks with sheep and beef farmers?
1: Well, I've certainly been around for a long time, and uh, I started life in Northern Southland, up near uh, Tianau on a high country sheep and beef farm, and eventually went to Lincoln, and uh, many, many years ago, when it was Lincoln College, and uh, managed to farm down the Tianau Basin, and then I joined up with DSIR Grasslands uh, in the agronomy section of that, around plant breeding, plant evaluation. Uh, ventured forth, and then that became one of the Crown Research Institute's research and ended up there after 40-odd years. Um, and we called ourselves, for want of a better word, we called ourselves system scientists, mm-hmm. which was an interesting term because people don't train to be system scientists. So, uh, scientists train in components, so you become a soil scientist or an animal geneticist or a plant breeder, or whatever it happens to be, but it became obvious to two or three of us in ag research that farmers farm a system, and all these different components so I've got to try and fit into their system. So a lot of the scientists will come up with what they think is great research, uh, but it's never picked up, or it's very seldom picked up by farmers, because in some cases it just doesn't fit into a farmer's system. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, That became quite important to us, and it 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 really opened my eyes to what's happening, particularly in the sheep and beef system, because sheep and beef farmers have a very complicated farm system, uh, and each farm system is in the sheep and beef is quite different. If you look at a dairy system, most of them are pretty similar, and particularly uh, in the South Island where you have a dairy farmer that just milks cows, even the young stock will be away grazing somewhere else. But a sheep and beef farmer may have eight or ten different classes of stock on the farm at any one time, all requiring different levels of feed uh, and different management. So it's an extremely complicated system. And each farmer can be quite different in in what they're uh, Mm -hmm. trying to manage and trying to achieve in that system.
0: And I guess that's, uh, that systems work, that's what you've, you're now working privately for your own company, um, Fraser Pastoral, is that the, is still the same sort of thing you're working on?
1: Yes, it's, that's, that's the, same, the same sort of thing, but I don't do any of the economic stuff, I keep well away from economics, so it's just the, the production system and the, the, the farm system around the animal pasture interface.
0: So I think a year or two back, funny, I think we actually you've done a lot of work with beef and lamb New Zealand and its predecessors, and that systems work with ag research. And, and now that you're private, I think a year or two back we had to count up from memory. It was something like around 80 of the Feed Smart workshops or thereabouts that you'd done for beef and lamb and predecessors over the years. Um, Plus a heap of field days. But we're actually going to do two podcasts with you. One, we're going to talk a bit about your, your career and the big lessons you've learned, the most important things. But we thought, as I inferred at the start, that we'd talk a wee bit about advice for people with those complicated systems, with multiple stock classes, multiple lamb types, um, various different pastures and crops and wintering and, and finishing systems and breeding use, all that stuff that's going on. And at the moment a number of people are affected either by drought in the north of the country or they've had a very wet season in the south and uh bluntly it looks like the whole country is going to be affected by processing limitations right as we head into winter so the busiest time of year so let's uh cut to the chase um start with the end in mind the take-home messages that sort of thing if at the moment, when you're out talking to farmers, dealing with you know, for want of a better word, it's it's the COVID 19 crisis and things that are out there. What would be your, your key messages, or the first things you'd tell a farmer to to think about, to look to work on? And we'll once we've had a bit of a summary of those, we're going to dig into those in a bit more depth.
1: Well, the the main thing as we're moving uh, through autumn into winter is we've really got to set up for spring. Now, I know that we're talking about uh, post drought or people, some people still in drought or post flood mm-hmm. uh, events but it's really the same thing that we should be looking at always in the autumn is the spring we need to set up for the spring because so we'll talk about it probably later on but the spring is by far and away the most important time uh, in the sheep and beef farm system mm-hmm. to actually make money so all our Decisions that we're making now, we need to be thinking of the spring. The goal is the spring feed supply and yep. how we're going to feed those productive animals in that late winter, early spring period. Yep.
0: So, when you're talking about, okay, you know, this time of year, your key is just think ahead, set up for spring. What are you talking You're talking about a, a certain pasture cover on a certain date or the animals of a certain body condition score, a live weight on a certain date. What are you? Setting up spring yeah, so,
1: the spring, what's the target? So that, that would be an overall thing is that you're trying to set up a pasture cover for a certain date in mm-hmm. the spring, and that date will, will change depending on where you are, what your objectives are, uh, and in the dairy system, they will set up a, they have a goal of having a certain pasture cover, and it might be 1,900 kilograms of dry matter per year, uh, per hectare on the date that they carve. Mm-hmm. So that date will vary wherever we are in, the, in New Zealand but we, we should be trying to aim long term uh, for a certain pasture cover and it could be 14 or 1,500 kilograms per hectare on our lambing plat- platform uh, at set stocking date uh-huh. or 10 days before lambing because we know what impact that will have on our lamb survival, our ewe survival and our lamb growth rates over lactation. So we're you know, now it can be, sorry.
0: Yep. Yeah, so we're now late March. Um, you know, lambings uh wee way away, but not that far away. Rams are going out or about to go out and certainly in my part of the country, the, the last week of March, first week of April. What's um it's a bit late when you get to, you know, a week before set stock and you suddenly realise you need a whole lot of feed, the options are out. So what sort of uh, you're talking targets at this time of year for covers going into winter or, or making decisions based on that what's the the planning there to get to that spring so
1: the, the, the main plan and I know that sheep farmers sheep and beef farmers are not great at it uh, but the main plan at this time of the year is that you should do a feed budget yep. some sort of feed budget it may be a simple feed budget there are some very good tools around to help farmers uh, do feed budgets but really need to do a feed budget at this time of the year uh, so that we know how we're going to get through that winter period and what we're going to look like in spring. So there's no use getting to set stocking date and saying, oh, hell, uh, I'm better than the Mm boards. We really need to be able to understand where we're going to be at before winter starts, preferably round about end of March or uh, going into April because we still may have an opportunity to do something about sorting out that spring cover. Yeah. But if we don't do it, uh, now then we'll get to the same stage that we get to, or well, a farmers get to mm-hmm. every year, they get to lambing and say, oh hell, I haven't got it.
0: So when you're talking so, about um, so the the plan, the feed budgets, the plan, the prediction of what we're going to be there, what, so you talked about different tools, what are some of the ones... Um, People that aren't doing it, um, despite your, your exhortations over the years, what sort of tools do you suggest or recommend or um, like to use?
1: Well, um, Beef and Lamb have a, a very good tools available in the toolkit and people can look them up online. Yep. Uh, most consultants will have, it may be just a simple Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. uh, for a start off, just where you put in the kilograms of dry matter and the number of stock, etc and it will spit it out but there are you don't need a farmer doesn't need to generate their own feed budget uh, tool there's plenty of tools out there uh, some very sophisticated you can go right through to um Access, which is you know a, a lot of inputs into that but a very good tool or you can go to a simple Excel spreadsheet type tool or some farmers may just do it on the back of an envelope but uh, I would suggest to them that just with one small step further than the back of an envelope, they can actually get something that will do a lot of the maths for them. Yep.
0: So, how, I mean, there's a lot of moving parts in that in terms of stock numbers, demand, what your pastures may or may not grow, your crop yields, and that sort of thing. It's your experience that um, even the basic tools are going to give you an accurate enough answer?
1: They, any feed, there's two things about feed budget. The first thing is that as soon as you mention feed budget to a farmer, they <clears throat> they immediately think that you've got to do a feed budget for a whole year for the whole farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you don't. You can do a feed budget for one paddock for one day for one class of stock. So, or any multiplication of that. So, whatever you're looking for, and it may well be that it's at this stage, <laughs> Excuse me. at this stage you're just looking for a, a feed budget for that uh, to get the stock through the winter to set up for that area of the farm that you're going to lamb onto yep. uh, in September, october, whatever it happens to be mm-hmm.
0: so um if whether you're doing it for the the lambing platform part of the farm the, the whole farm for winter, whatever you plan to do what's the the first step um, getting out there and measuring covers or what would you start with?
1: Yeah, so just on on the feed budget, doing a feed budget at this time of the year. If you've never done a feed budget before, this is the most important, I uh, said, most important time to do a feed budget. But it's also the easiest time to do a feed budget. You'll never come across an easier time to do a feed budget than late autumn, because one of the things that you do have to put in a feed budget is what is your pasture going to grow at over the time of your feed budget. So if we look at a 100 days, May, June, July, or, and just talking about, say, Canterbury, and those dates will be slightly different in another area, but for a feed budget for 100 days over that winter period, your pasture growth rate will not vary from year to year or very, very little. Some people will say their pasture doesn't grow at all over winter, or it might grow at 5 kilograms a day or 10 kilograms a day. But whatever figure you pick there, you're not going to be very far out. But if I was asked to ask a farmer uh, in North Canterbury, what is your pasture going to grow at in December, January next year, the answers could be anything from zero to 100. Yep. So your error uh, can be huge. And that, that is pretty much the same right throughout the country. So over this winter, late autumn, winter, early spring period, Uh, one of the main things that you need to put into a feed budget is your pasture growth and so you're going to be reasonably accurate with that figure obviously another one of the other criteria you need to put in is what are the pasture covers so it's pretty hard to estimate pasture cover on a steep hill block but on your easier country and perhaps on your lambing country uh, it's not quite as difficult and again There are tools out there to assist. Measuring pasture quantity is not an exact science. What we're trying to do is get a reasonable estimate. So don't get too hung up about whether it's 1,350 or 1,380 kilograms of dry matter per per hectare. What we're looking at, is it round about 13 or is it round about 16 or is it only 1,100 kilograms of dry matter? And the pasture sword sticks that are out there, well, some people will say, Oh, they're not accurate enough. They will give a very, very good indication, a very good guide of roundabout what that average pasture cover is on particular blocks.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, a key point there you're not talking about people going out and doing um, quadrats and cutting and drying and weighing and that sort of thing to get it where um, I guess the you see, you know, not enough people were doing them, and part of that because it, if it's too tricky, it won't get done. So, simple methods might not be as accurate, but they at least get done.
1: They they might not be as accurate, but in some cases they may even be more accurate because what you can do with a sword stick is you can take many, many samples in a very short space of time. And if you're going to go out with a quadrat and cut and weigh and dry and wash and all that sort of thing, you're going to take very few samples. Uh, And you're only going to take samples of a particular areas, whereas with a sword stick it means that you can go and sample over large areas and take multiples of samples as you walk across or drive across a paddock. Cool.
0: So we'll put, uh, on when we publish the podcast, there'll be the description, the blurb. We'll put in there some of the links to some of the things that Beef and Lamb have got that Tom's mentioned, um, and certainly where you can get hold of one of the sword sticks if you haven't already. Um, unfortunately, right at the moment that we're recording this, I hope you do have one, because um, sending things out has actually been shut right down at the moment. So um, if you haven't got one, we can't send you one. But the, the standard... It's based largely on a roller, anyway, isn't it, Tom, I think? So. Yes, it is. It's based on a ruler. A roller will do the job, if need be, and just convert that height in centimetres to, to kilograms of dry matter per hectare. What about, I guess, the other one certainly is the further south we go in the country, but more and more, perhaps in the North Island, winter crops are a key part of that winter, uh, certainly in areas where they're you know, 100, 120 days of not growing a lot, where it's easy to forecast pasture growth. Um, what about measuring those to get a, a reasonable handle on yield of crops, though, Tom?
1: So uh, the other parts of measuring your feed supply in a feed budget is uh, winter crops and also supplementary uh, silage and hay, yep. etc. So again, doing one at this time of the year, your winter crop has, you know, whether it's going to be any good or not or whether it's weedy or been a failure. Uh, so you've got a pretty good idea of whether your crop is really good just average or pretty poor and most farmers will know been to some uh, area or some field day or something where people have talked about a, a, a crop yield of 12 ton or 8 ton or whatever it happens to be so you may have some sort of an idea don't be be reasonably conservative in estimating a yield because people do tend to overestimate because we want them obviously want them to be better than they are unfortunately we do there is a really good source of getting crop yields measured uh, that we actually can't use at the moment because most of our agribusiness people have uh, seed reps or fertilizer reps have been trained up to do crop yields and of course we can't get them out there now but some farmers will have had them out there already this year or perhaps in the past Have measured crop yields. Or you can go out, and there's certainly um, examples on the Beef and Lamb website of the um, methodology that you need to use to go out and measure a crop. And it's fairly important, it it may take you half a day to do it, but if you've got a 10 hectare area in fodder beet or swedes or kale or whatever it happens to be, and it's 10 or 12 ton, that's a huge amount of. Uh, dry matter you have got there and it will be time well spent to get some understanding of roundabout what that yield is and I'll repeat again this is not an exact science what we're trying to get is a as accurate a gauge on what it is as possible without getting hung up about to the last kilogram of dry matter <clears throat>
0: And we'll talk a wee bit later on. One of the things is with your feed budget, it's a a live document or something you should revisit. So, you know, you you can adjust it, correct it as we go through the season. But one of the other things we obviously have to measure is a bit of an input or a source of feed, and you did mention it there, is is supplements and so on. Um, What's your recommendation there, Tom? Look up tables or that sort of thing for...
1: So, at this time of the year, farmers have got their hay made or their um, silage or baleage made or they've bought it in, so they know roughly uh, and probably in some cases very accurately how many bales of a particular silage or hay that they have, if you've made it yourself uh, then you know whether it's a reasonable quality or ordinary quality uh, so you can make some adjustments for that as far as your hay goes, it's you know, you're talking about a good 90% dry matter, so if you've got a conventional bale it's 25 kilograms it's round about 23 24 kilograms of dry, 22 23 kilograms of dry matter there in your big bales again they will vary but if you've made them the contractor will probably be able to tell you uh what sort of weight they are and a lot of contractors now will be able to tell you what the dry matter percentage of your so- baleage uh, has been when it's gone in
0: So that's talking about the supply side, the grass you've got, what's going to grow, your crops, your supplements, that sort of thing, then it comes to the other side of the equation is what's there and what's going to be eating it, so um, how do you go about, uh, what's your recommendation or suggestion to farmers that want to go about getting a a bit of a tally up of how much feed they're going to need to feed the mouths they've got on?
1: So again, uh, you need to know the numbers Mm -hmm. and it may be surprising that that some farmers (laughs) don't actually have really good handle on their numbers. But uh, I'm taking it the farmer that will have a good handle on their numbers. So you probably, then you need to know what sort of weight those animals are. Again, roundabout, are they 62, 65, 70 kilogram ewes? Uh, so we work out a stock unit is based on roundabout a 55, 58 kilogram U, and we call, call that one stock unit. So if we, and we, again, you've got lookup tables that, how much energy, or how many kilograms of dry matter at an average ME quality uh, that animal would require for maintenance per day? So, if you've got 70 kilogram ewes, they may go through at 1.2, 1.3 uh, stock units per animal, and it would be the same for your hoggets and your um, your cattle and your calves, heifers, etc. So, all those, all that information is there, and that has been done. Over many, many years, it's been uh, tested, and it's pretty accurate. You don't need to – you can just look up those tables and have confidence in what those animal requirements are for different classes of stock.
0: right. So we're going to talk a bit in a minute about um, making decisions based on the results. I think we've pretty much covered everything. I don't think we've missed anything there. The, The key inputs for a feed budget, Tom, we've covered them all, haven't we? Yep. yep. So we'll talk a bit about making decisions based on the outcome of that, whether it's in the black or in the green or in the red. Um, but I, I mentioned before that you know a feed budget is not something you should do once and abandon because we want to track it, the season may change or some inaccuracies may have crept in there. Once people have done a feed budget, what do you recommend they should do? How often should they revisit it, recalculate it, check it? So the, the first feed budget
1: that you do in Uh, in the autumn setting up for spring and so you may have a a target in the spring that you want 1400 kilograms of dry matter per hectare on that lambing platform so you do your feed budget and you find out that you've only got 1200 so at that stage you can back in the autumn you could perhaps make decisions on how I'm going to try and achieve that 1400 it may be selling some stock it may be buying in some more feed it may be putting on nitrogen, which we'll talk about later as well. But So it gives you the opportunity to make decisions. So I've, made, I've done that feed budget, and the advantage of doing that feed budget in one of these uh, tools that's already out there rather than doing it on the back of a, an envelope is that once you've put it into a tool, it remembers everything that you've put in there, and it's doing all the maths for you. So it may be that you then uh, revisit that feed budget uh, every 20 or 30 days uh, and then you ne- just need to change a few parameters that that may have happened it it may be that uh, you've gone onto your crop and it's become extremely wet so rather than utilizing 80 or 85 percent you may be down to only utilizing 60 percent uh, and that's obviously going to make a big difference so the important thing is to it's a alive as you said it's a live event it's a live um management tool that you're using and you want to go back in there and revisit it uh, and just update it uh, every 3 or 4 weeks or maybe more often than that if if need be
0: and a key date um this is this is going to date this podcast one day but at the moment it's the 31st of March 2020 we're about three weeks, 21 days, till we know whether um, lockdown's going to be lifted on the country, which should hopefully see some reno- resumption of normal processing in our processes, or whether that's going to be extended. So, doing a feed budget now in about three or four weeks' time is another good chance to, to update it and um, serendipity in terms of the timing. So, okay, we've done that. We've got a feed budget. We're revisiting it. Let's say, um, and this is a, the case for a lot of the farmers who are listening to this, I suspect that it's going to be. In the red, um, we're not going to achieve our target pasture covers for our whole farm or a lambing block or, or whatever the, the block we're doing the work on because we've got to carry more stock into the winter or our covers aren't there at the moment or we're short of feed. Um, there's no perfect answer, you know, we can't give everybody the solutions, but if, again, what's the process you'd work through or you'd suggest to farmers to work through if they come to that and they say they are short of X amount of dry matter per hectare or across the whole farm? What's the decision-making process you'd recommend, Tom?
1: So probably one of the the first ones I'd do would be I would look at body condition scoring my ewes Uh uh, and there may be uh, 15, 20% of my ewe flock that is quite a high body condition score uh, for various reasons. So we'll just say that our average body condition score is 3 and there's 15% of the ewes that are 3.5 and above. So I could afford to take those ewes out pretty quickly after the ram's gone out, and take some weight off them. Or well, It's pretty hard to take some weight off some of those ewes because they seem to do so well. That's not what you do. Uh, but they can be restricted. and So that may save feed, or the other thing that you could do with that feed that you're saving is take the bottom 10 or 15% of your ewes and actually allocate them more feed. Because when you look at the profitability of a sheep system, it's not necessarily the higher-performing use that dictate your profit. It's the lower-performing use. So the less lower-performing use you can have in that system, the better off you're going to be. So that that's one thing that you can do to uh-huh. uh, try and get rounded a wee bit. It may be, and this again uh well, it's it's lucky that every sheep farmer in New Zealand doesn't listen to these podcasts because <laughs> if they all did then we'd all be doing the same thing and we wouldn't be able to capture some of the economics uh, off the decisions that we make. But my understanding is at the moment that the store lamb price is still reasonably good. No. Um, and it may be that if if we've got some lambs, store lambs there Uh, that are still uh, quite a long way away from the slaughter date or the slaughter weight that we're looking for, it may be that you just do a a very quick calculation and it may be that you find out that it's actually better off to get rid of those lambs now than hold on to them for another 50 or 60 days to get into the so-called winter contract um, because we may actually not be making any money out of it because of the cost of the feed that we're Mm. putting into them
0: yeah you know then that's one of the keys I mean, even if you may see a margin on paper on stock if your feed budget's showing a deficit then um, you may not achieve that margin or it may actually cost more than you're going to make to get them to that point particularly and you sort of touched on it there that setting up a spring if that getting those animals to a slaughter weight impacts pasture covers in spring or the body condition score you use at, at the start of lambing then um, the hidden costs may more than offset that um, direct benefit of that margin I guess
1: Yes, that's correct. And what you touched on there is exactly right, is that your your aim now should be to try and set up for the spring. Uh-huh. Because, you know, this year's, I know it's hard, but this year's nearly gone. What we've got to start protecting now is next year's uh, cash flow.
0: So preferentially feeding ewes using body condition scoring, and we've got some really good resources on that. I'd encourage people to have a look at um, the option of, quitting stock early, selling on the store market, um, because there does seem to be some appetite there still, even with what's going on. Um, Some parts of the country are actually, even as we talk about the conditions certainly in the north, are still looking reasonably good going into winter. Um, Anything else in terms of the stock side of things that we can do to try and basically reduce or or manage demand, Tom?
1: Uh, If I can just go back a wee bit to the body condition score and when you go into the tools you'll see that there's a, a scale there one to five um, don't get too hung up about that it's sure it's that's the scale that's there but the important thing is is that you actually get them in and you put your hand on them and you could call them wheelbarrows I don't care but there'll be some heavy wheelbarrows and some light or some big wheelbarrows and some small wheelbarrows you guess what I'm getting at here mm-hmm. is just make your own. If you can't, yep. if you don't want to go into the one to five rank, just make your own ranking and take the 10 or 15 percent big high condition score ones out. Uh, the biggest part of the tool that's in the beef and lamb toolkit is to show you how to do it where to put your hand, what you're feeling for, whether you call it a two or a three or a six or a big wheelbarrow or a small wheelbarrow, doesn't really matter,
0: yeah. But, um you have to put your hand on them.
1: You've got to get them in and put your hand on them.
0: Yep. Yes. No, definitely right. It doesn't really matter what you call them, whether your four is exactly the same as your neighbour's four, or the guy up the road's four, or Tom's four, or my four. The key thing is your um, farmers know you know which ones are your lighter use and which one are your heavier use, and and um, but it, it, it does need your hand on. Them. And as soon as you put your hand on them, you'll feel that. Yes. Um.
1: So then, apart from getting rid of non-performing stock, and you may have some of them, how you get rid of them I'm not quite sure at the moment, but mm-hmm. uh, you've got to take them out and perhaps, you know, whatever. But uh, the other big thing at the moment to try and balance up your feed supply and demand is nitrogen. Yep. So we're still early enough, uh, the soil temperatures are still okay, And I've looked at some of the long-term weather predictions for April, and it looks as though we're reasonably mild. So I was looking, for example, at uh, Dunedin, just now in the next 10 days. I don't think there's a night that goes under 12 degrees in the next 10 days in Otago Mm -hmm. or around Dunedin. So that's meaning that we're still going to get a reasonably good response to nitrogen and there's two I'm not talking here about putting on masses of massive kilograms per hectare of N I'm talking about a reasonable strategic 25-30 kilograms of nitrogen that's not a urea or whatever that's of the actual nitrogen uh, and you will get a, a reasonably good response to that it may be 10 kilograms of pasture per kilogram of N it may be 8 uh, and that's going to make a big impact on your feed covers uh, going into winter and hence coming out into the spring. Yep,
0: so just sort of as a minimum soil temperature, what would you, what does it need to be above? Chuck
1: it off. Well, they will tell us it's seven or eight degrees, uh, preferably rising, well soil temperatures is going to be declining at this time of the year. But I work on the premise that if you've got a plant that's actually growing,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it will respond to nitrogen. Yep. Because nitrogen is a multiplier. It just multiplies what's happening at the moment. So if you have a, and for example, if you had a, a biannual or a, um annual ryegrass, for example, it will grow at much lower temperatures than a perennial plant will. So it will respond to nitrogen at much lower soil temperatures uh, than a perennial mm-hmm. plants will require. So you could perhaps apply nitrogen to those sort of pastures. Uh, at much lower soil temperatures until get a response yep. but the other thing with the nitrogen application of nitrogen fertilizer in the autumn is that it will put your plants in better heart coming out of the winter going into spring mm-hmm. so one of the problems <clears throat> that we have uh, following a drought is that our pasture plants are in the, the plant reserves have really taken a hammering Mm -hmm. and uh, they just have nothing there so we always used to say that we could almost in Canterbury we could almost say what sort of a spring we were going to have in dryland Canterbury by the state of the pastures in Mm mid-April so if our pastures were in good heart in mid-April we would have a good spring if they were still struggling in mid-April it didn't really matter what the spring climate was like Those plants would struggle in the spring. So what we've got to try and do, we've talked about the animal, we're talking about the plant, what we've got to try and do is to get those plants in as good a state of health going into winter as we can.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. So when you're talking about good health, I mean, is that something, the urea helps, the nitrogen helps, it it helps do the reserves and that sort of thing. What, what are you talking about? You're just talking about good covers going into Widham or um, actively growing? What sort of, you know, for somebody you want to go out and see what you're talking about there, a pasture that's good, hard, are there any specific things you're measuring or just good cover? It's just it's something to do.
1: So, and it, it's, it's, if we think, if we could sort of go back to an example, and if we think about uh, Derek Moot's lucerne story,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we allow the lucerne to go flip to come to flower once a year. Uh, the One of the main reasons for that is to actually let the plant have a spell uh-huh. and allow it to build up some reserves. So, And if we take that scenario and take it to our grass plant, it's no different at all. But what we do with our grass plant, as soon as it pokes its head above the ground, we graze it. Yeah. So if at some stage we can give those grass plants a reasonable spell as well that we do farmers are quite happy to do with their lucerne because we've sold them a good story, uh, then the grass plant would actually perform much better and uh, produce more. So what we need to go do going into winter is to try and have those grass plants as healthy as building up as much reserves as we can because there's not a lot of photosynthesis goes on in the winter. Uh, We need to get that photosynthesis going in the autumn. Uh And one of the things I've recommended to some farmers to do this autumn going out of the drought is to go around and actually score or grade their paddocks from very poor to poor to average Uh to good to very good or whatever. It might only be three. And the better paddocks on the farm are probably the ones that you spent the most money on, they may be the new pastures where you put fertilizer on or whatever they are the pastures, the paddocks that you need to look after going into the into the winter mm-hmm. so it's easy easy to say we shouldn't graze our grass for the six weeks from the Mar- middle of March to the end of April but the animals have got to be somewhere it's those good paddocks that we need to protect so if we're going to really hammer a paddock at this time of the year it should be those poorer paddocks on the farm. I know it'll look strange because the good paddocks will have the most cover on them, but they're the paddocks that are going to give us the best feed supply yep. in that period.
0: And would you use that as well when applying urea? To you know, more inclined to put the urea on the good paddocks or? Um, or uh, yes.
1: If I was going to limit the amount yep. of uh, nitrogen I was putting on, uh, then I would be tending to be putting it on those paddocks that I was going to that were going to carry me through that spring mm-hmm. period.
0: If it's affordable or feasible, though, would it still be worth, you know, poor paddocks coming out of it. some of them can look pretty bad. Is it still worth a, a dressing of nitrogen on those as well for to get some response?
1: Yes. Uh, in a, an autumn like we've got now, uh, even if you were to look at a response of five or six kilograms of dry matter per kilogram of mm-hmm. nitrogen, it is by far and away the cheapest supplementary feed we can buy. Yep. There's no other supplementary fee. We can buy a kilogram of dry matter, high-quality dry matter, uh, with nitrogen for around about 20 cents. Yep. Now, there's nothing else that I know out there at the moment uh, that would even look at being able to buy for 20 cents a kilogram. Uh-huh. And if we are to get a response of 10 or 12 to 1, which a lot of country will do, then you're down to 12 or $0.15 cents per kilogram of nitrogen. So, you know, it's pretty much a no-brainer uh, if you've got some areas on your farm uh, not to be applied nitrogen. The problem is that we've got to apply it tomorrow yeah. if we can, but, I mean, in the next two or three weeks, it's going to be okay. But,
0: but the sooner the better, I guess, you know, we'll given that length the of better,
1: time. And the other thing to learn from this is, Unfortunately, uh, I hope the virus thing doesn't come around again too soon, but uh, we will get droughts, we will get floods. This is not going to be the last one we get. So what do we remember from this one and what can we put into place when it happens again? So rather than making uh, management decisions late, we'll actually start making some management decisions and putting things in place a wee bit earlier uh, so that we don't get ourselves. And there's no, obviously, there's no use doing it before it rains in a drought situation, but uh, are we prepared? So I was talking to a farmer in Otago this morning, uh, and he's got the nitrogen all sitting, waiting to go. Yeah. And it's going to go on tomorrow. So, you know, it may be more difficult for some others to get it at this stage.
0: And I mean, that's that's a good point. You know, this isn't the first drought we've had in the country. They keep coming. But also every single drought ends at some stage. Um, some are longer yep. and harder than others. But um, so that, that's probably a good you know, last point to wrap up. You've talked about going into the winter at the end of hopefully the tail end of a drought, uh, looking at pastures, maybe just having a poor average good scale or, or more steps, but at least three. <laughs> Coming out the other side in in spring, we've talked about doing a feed budget to try and protect the the breeding flock, especially maintain that productivity into next season, minimise the impact of the drought. What's uh, the spring actions or or to get our pastures back up? We are going to have some pastures that will have been impacted presumably by the drought, certainly if it's long enough. What's the ideas to get them back up and running as quickly as we can?
1: So in in that... In that early part of spring, just to grow, be able to grow as much pasture as we can, uh, we can take a lesson from dairy farmers is that, uh, and we may not be able to do it as well as they can, but grass grows grass. So the more that you can go into a rotational grazed system, uh, the more grass you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that under, over lambing time it's pretty difficult to do that, but if we can get into a rotational graze system, if we're still short of feed, then that will help us as uh, quantity uh, be greater mm-hmm. the other thing to remember that in this late winter early spring pasture quality is not a problem yep. pasture quality looks after itself in that late winter early spring period so all our management decisions in that late winter early spring should be looking at how can we grow the most quantity of grass Don't worry about quality, quality will be fine. So what management decisions can we put in place to grow the maximum amount of pasture as possible over that September, October, uh, mid-November period? Awesome.
0: All right, look, um, I thought this one talking about short-term actions might be a wee bit shorter, but we've got into a fair whack of material there. We talked about feed budgets, putting it together how to do it, how to monitor it, how to make decisions based on that and what some of the opportunities are. Are there anything you wanted to talk about in this bit about managing the sort of the short term feed shortage issues that we haven't covered, Tom?
1: No, I don't think so, Aaron. Um,
0: We've covered a fair bit. We are going to record another podcast after this talking more generally about sort of strategic planning and management of sheep and beef farms, so something might come up there. Tom's mentioned a couple of times, you know, the various resources, we'll link to those on the Beef and Lamb website and there's certainly others around, but I'll link to the Beef and Lamb New Zealand ones where it's got a lot of other tips and tricks. They don't always all work and they may not apply to your situation, but um, there are certainly ideas out there. There is very rarely, if ever, in farming that it's an absolute blank brick wall and there's no options at all. So the main thing is about um, doing your planning and making those decisions early. So unless there's anything that's occurred to you while I was doing that, we wrap up, Tom? No, that's fine. All right. We might call it to a close here on this podcast and um, thank Tom very much for his time. If you don't listen to the other podcasts with him, then I'm sure this one has been of a lot of value to you. But we are going to record another one and it'll be up in about a week or so, um, talking more about um, Tom's general observations and recommendations for sheep and beef farmers. So Tom Fraser, Fraser Pastoral, thanks very much for your time on this call and we'll talk again to you soon. Thanks, Aaron. Cheers.